Welcome, listeners, to Season 3, Episode 5 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're joined by friend of the podcast, actor and screenwriter Lee Shorten, who just happens to want to discuss the film Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. Hi, Lee. Thanks for coming on the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, you already said I'm, a, I'm an actor and a, and a writer and a director and... Uh, I guess maybe people might know me from Man in the High Castle or the Terror Infamy, probably my two big things. Yes. Cool, cool. Congrats. Thanks for introducing us to Big Trouble in Little China, a film that I had never seen before. (laughs) And we'll hear more from you in a bit when we dive into our discussion. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be Big Trouble. Just so you know, this episode will contain discussion on racism, sex trafficking, cultural appropriation, and misogyny. If any of these topics are things that you don't need to hear today, we totally understand. Feel free to skip this episode. So I made this drink today. And? And it's definitely a Kelly drink. It is. You handed it to me, but before you handed it to me, you said, you're not going to like this. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, I call it Egg's Magic Potion. And it's supposed to be like the uh, potion that he pours for everybody before they go into the big climactic fight. I'm sorry, but this is amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you then. I I hate to cut you off mid spiel, but um, what? It's that's hmm. I did not expect that because this is a cocktail. Well, it's like hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. It's one of those ones that show up to your table and it's like a finger tall. Mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be drank really slowly. It's got orange in it. Uh, yeah, it's very orangey, but also very smoky. Yes, because we're using our new sponsored bitters from Mad Lab. Hell yeah! That we've been talking about forever. We've been so excited, and we finally got them. They sent us. Every bitter they have, which Every is like single one, 10, I want to say 10 different kinds of bitters. Considering I bought bitters two years ago and haven't finished the single bottle, I think these might last us forever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the when he pours the potion, the smoke comes out. And since we can't get dried ice because you know, a pandemic, the pandemic, uh, I went with the metaphorical smoky, the flavor of smoke instead. Ah. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised. I I tried to make this a drink that I really liked, but something I kind of like gave it a twist that maybe you would also like it. So I'm glad I pushed it just far enough that it's still within the confines of what I intended. But also you like it. Yeah, it's definitely from the looks of it. It's way sweeter than I would have anticipated. Yeah, it's. uh, But it's good. Yeah, it's a smooth drink. I am a fan. It's also involved lighting something on fire. (laughs) Of course it did. (laughs) (laughs) Which was very fun to do. Oh, yeah. You did get the matchbox out. I was Uh, a little curious about that. (laughs) So the the matches that were provided by one of our other sponsors. (laughs) The horror candles. (laughs) Just a sponsored filled episode. Also, the, the main component of this drink was a birthday present from our friend of the podcast uh norris oh man so this is just chock full of stuff that other people gave to us (laughs) 
So this week we watched Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. It premiered on July 2nd of that year. It's directed by John Carpenter and written by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Is he related to Harvey? Probably. Then we hate him. Yeah. <laughs> if not, my apologies. Stars Kurt Russell as truck driver and hero. Note my parentheses. <laughs> uh, Jack Burton. Kim Cattrall as lawyer and his love interest, Gracie Law. Dennis Dune as true hero, Wang Chi. And James Hong as the evil sorcerer, David Lopan. Yeah. This synopsis is by Claudio Carvalho on IMDb. Thank you (laughs) once again, Claudio. Truck driver Jack Burton arrives in Chinatown, San Francisco, and goes to the airport with his Chinese friend, Wang Chi, to welcome his green-eyed fiance Miao Yin, who is arriving from China. However, she is kidnapped on the arrival by a Chinese street gang, and Jack and Wang chase the group. Soon they learn that the powerful, evil sorcerer called David Lopan, who has been cursed more than 2,000 years ago to exist without physical body, needs to marry a woman with green eyes to retrieve his physical body and meow is the chosen one jack and wang team up with a lawyer gracie law the bus driver and sorcerer apprentice egg shen and their friends and embark in a great adventure in the underground of chinatown where they face a world of magicians and magic monsters and martial arts fighters and really this is a movie that's hard for me to finish this synopsis because I'll be honest, it's not one of my favorite styles of movies because it's basically just action and fighting. So really, a lot of martial arts fighting happens, including some very cool lightning effects as Jack and Wang make their way to rescue Gracie and Miao Yim, who have both been kidnapped and hypnotized by David Lopan. Thankfully, they have the help of their friends as Jack makes an ass of himself every step of the way. They are still somehow managed to save the day. Wang Chi and Miao Yin are happy to spend the rest of their lives together while Jack and Gracie part ways at the end of the film. Hit me with that trailer audio. I'm so ready for the trailer audio to just be in the world. (laughs) 80s. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of magic? The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Man, oh man. That was a trailer. That was a weird-ass trailer. It felt like it couldn't decide if it wanted to show all of the times that Jack was an idiot or try to make him look like the hero. I thought it was funny that it brought up the he's a truck driver, so he just is making his own podcast on the truck radio. (laughs) I like is that a thing that people used to do where they would just like drive around and use their uh, radio and. If someone was listening, they would listen. I don't know. I guess if you're a straight white man, you don't care. Someone's definitely going to want to listen to you. Hell yeah. But uh, yeah, that was it was that that trailer was more like a compilation of all of the dumb shit that he did throughout the movie than it was a trailer. Yeah. I mean, it did have the trailer voice that I expected. (laughs) (laughs) There's a world out there where things are weird and then a truck driver shows up and then trouble big ones happen. Are you ready for some thoughts? 
I am. Uh, so right off the bat, I wanted to talk about the pacing of this movie and how it is completely buck wild. <laughs> like, I feel like they cut out every shot that was like establishing shots and like reaction shots. And it was all just action and dialogue. And that's all they felt like they needed in this entire movie. Lots of jokes. Can't forget the jokes. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, it's John Carpenter. And I think it was a bit of like his his stab at culty B movie, like action horror thing where he didn't really have to worry. Like, well, I mean, you do obviously in a way, but like less about really like atmosphere and tension and all those kinds of things that he's probably more well known for. And it's a chance to flex those other muscles. Um, yeah. You know, again, you still need atmosphere and tension, but in, in a totally like different vein. Yeah. It's almost like he made so, all of those things. And then rather than like show you them first, he kind of just like threw you into the middle of it. And it's like, Hey, this world exists already. And we don't care if you know what the hell's going on. But I guess that's exactly what Jack Burton is feeling in that moment. So you as the audience member are like on that ride with him. Right. He right. did it on purpose. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean probably. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you, uh, again, I don't know if you know or you're going to talk about it in fact, but the original screenplay was a Western. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So. And he was like supposed to I be mean, looking for his horse instead of his truck. Yeah. <laughs> but it definitely, but I like. I can't imagine it. It does have that vibe, though. Like when you think of like Western, typical Western films that are like saving the damsel and all this action fight choreography and stuff. It, all the elements I feel of like a spaghetti Western are there. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. You totally see that. Huh. I mean, like most good kung fu movies also just feel like Westerns as well, which is why I love I love all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I like one of the greatest things that I love is the is the kind of the back and forth between the kung fu movie and the Western, you know, like particularly Kurosawa and, you know, yes. um, Leone and, every, and like uh, and everything. It's like it's fascinating to watch those two genres constantly, like almost like a tennis match back and forth, influencing, influencing back, influencing back, influencing back. And and it is also to me so weird and, and beautiful and interesting that they're also both kind of the quintessential like movies, like the Kung Fu movie and the Samurai Epic, so, so stereotypically Asian. And then Cowboys, so stereotypically like Western. And it's those two <laughs> genres of film that are engaged in a dialogue. It's like kind of weird. So great. They're just constantly one-upping themselves and everybody wins. <laughs> I guess like my second point is also, I think we kind of just already covered it is that like my favorite bit basically in this entire movie is just the fact that like Jack's constantly asking what's going on and nobody gives him a clear answer. And then he just like leaves. Like, I don't think he under really fully understood what the objective was that they were doing. And he just stabbed an old guy with a knife and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, I feel that and that's just the life of a truck driver that? you know like <laughs> <laughs> like truck drivers they they aren't able to really set down roots and he has this relationship with this white woman from sex in the city whose character name i forget oh <laughs> but um Gracie Lowell. there we go <laughs> and they have this like back and forth connection and then it just doesn't amount to anything even though he brings up like i want to settle down but then uh, when at the end of the day he's too afraid to actually put roots down it seemed I feel like truck drivers think they're the modern cowboy 
I think there it's reflecting. I think it's reflecting. Uh, there you go. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just going to drive off in the sunset. Yeah. No looking back. Blading the frontier. Yeah. <laughs> just taking as many caffeine pills as you can possibly muster. Uh, and those are my two two thoughts. <laughs> what do you what are your thoughts on this movie, Lee? I, I saw this movie when I was a young kid and, and I really liked it. And it's it's like weirdly, it's my version of a Christmas movie. It's the movie my brother and I always watch every Christmas. Um and the reason I like this movie is although you uh, it's kind of weird to think about, like to me, and when you listen to John Carpenter talk about it. It was the way they could make a movie about Asians set in Chinatown. It was the only way you could do it back then because you needed a bankable white lead. But like, like even though Jack Burton is technically the lead of the film, I mean, he's the POV character in the film, but the film is not really about him. And, and the, the thing I love about it is to me, the big joke is he's the sidekick in his own movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just doesn't realize it. Yeah. He, he thinks he's the hero, but he's incredibly stupid and out of depth. And he only contributes really one thing in the whole movie, which is the knife throw at the end. And <laughs> as you said, Kelly, he does not even know what the fuck is going on. Whereas all the Asian people in that movie, they do know what's going on. They're very like, they do their own thing. They don't really like, they, like they tolerate Jack, but they don't really, you know, he's not there to save them. Mm-hmm. They just do their stuff. And like, again, I mean, you're talking about a movie that is like, what, almost 40 years old now. So of course it's, it's got flaws and it's problematic, like inevitably, but I, you know, and maybe it's not my place to talk about it either. But when I look back at like a lot of films of that era, like I love Blade Runner too, but I think like the relationship between Jack and Gracie is slightly less problematic than say Deckard and, and Rachel. Like, yeah. When I w- went back and watched Blade Runner, like that's super rapey mm-hmm. really. Whereas I, I don't think, you know, Not that I want to be grading this on a spectrum, but I don't think it's as bad. And I I do look at Gracie, at least, you know, she tends to for them, like she does have her own kind of objectives and story. She's smart. She like, yeah, she falls to Jack, unfortunately, but she can also see that he's kind of adult and a moron. And so uh, in, in some ways, you know, I think the film was ahead of its time but also a product of its time. It's, it's like when you're trying to do your best in the system that you have set up, which, yeah. is, which is why I like it. And she does still like, she does fight for herself. Like in that marriage scene, when she's in the like cultural appropriation <laughs> outfit, um, <laughs> yeah. she once like, she's able to be like snapped out of that spell. She like throws a guy off of the, not cliff, it's but like the like, ziggurat. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, which was nice to see. Yeah. yeah. And she does like take her destiny into her own hands, which was good. She also pushed a lot of the narrative to begin with because it seemed like she knew what was going on. And she was kind of like the she was like the version of white people the way they should act in that situation where she was like very like she was pushing what everybody around her wanted to be doing. Like she was trying to help the people around her rather than Jack, who's just like, man, I want to make this movie about myself and then like fucks everything up. And everyone else is like, oh, that that Jack, he's such a card and stuff like that. Like she was probably more interesting than Jack at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think, you know, again, it's like it's all relative. But yeah, she's the one who is like interested in investigating like like David Lopin's shady Chinatown connections and the trafficking of women. And and she's kind of hopefully, you know, as best she can in the context of that narrative. I, I like to think, yeah, doing her thing and mm-hmm. trying to drive the plot as best she can in that capacity. Of course, it could be better. It could always be better. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. And she does get the Ellis Gray of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> to come and be the, like, not be the reporter, but, like, do her job. Like, she gives a lead to a woman reporter on this, like, huge news story. Yeah. Once they, once this goes wide, like, that woman is set for life. It was also really weird seeing Ellis Gray be, like, a dumb reporter. It was, was such a, a weird role. Very uh, feminine and, like, a B status compared to her super a status in gray so yeah i agree that was yeah. weird but it was cool i mean she's an amazing actress that mm-hmm. woman also to your um other point i remember uh i looked up like an interview with dennis dunn and he like specifically said that he took this role because like reading the script he was so excited the way that like the asian actors got to play these parts that normally were played by like western actors yeah i i, I mean like yeah i, I think so like he's Really, Wang Chi is the cool one, and he's the one who's good at fighting. Yeah, and he's the one <laughs> he knows what's up, and he's he's like, like I just love like that scene, you know, obviously where Jack Burton just like knocks himself out before the fight. <laughs> yeah, like, so out of his depth and useless, like. Or when he's like slips um, the blade out of his boot and then goes to pick it up and comes back, and all the dudes are knocked out. Like, yeah. plus Wang gets I mean, the girl in the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I should say too, you know, like in a way, like hats off to Kurt Russell who I'm sure is smart enough to understand his role in that script and still took it anyway, despite, you know, being a Hollywood leading man. Like I, you know, I got to give him kudos. For yeah. That. It's like the exact opposite of alien where he's like the competent guy. The, who, thing? Uh, the thing. Yeah. It's like the exact opposite yeah. of the thing where he's like the competent guy who knows everything that's going on. And he's like super reserved and stuff like that. Like big trouble is like the exact opposite movie to the thing. Everyone, nobody trusts each other in the thing, whereas everybody trusts everybody that they're on their side with in Big Trouble. Kurt Russell's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't know if like, if you want to split this up into facts, but again, like, you know that opening scene, the studio forced that on them, right? Oh, yeah. The um, the one where uh, Ag was like saying, oh, yeah, he's like a hero that came in and saved us. Like, show him respect. The one that yeah. was fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> That's my first point. <laughs> Look at my magic. Well, <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, I mean, it I, makes sense. Like, yeah, no, please go. Go show. What were you? Well, no, like that totally makes sense. Now that you're telling me that that was not in the original plan for the screenplay, because <laughs> that was wild. The lawyer I don't understand. Everything was so chopped. I was like, is it not even his voice? Like, is oh no, it- I think everything the lawyer said was ADR. It was so awkward. And like talking about how the pacing of the film was so fast, like this was so stilted. But then they brought in the electricity magic, which kind of brought it up again. And <laughs> from going into this film blind, I that set the tone for me in a good way. But the whole beginning of that, like it starts off with like probably a five minute scene of the lawyer and egg discussing uh, this story. And if I hadn't, I don't know what I would have done if I was deciding to watch this out of just <laughs> curiosity. Like maybe I would have turned it off because I was so put off. And then the the magic starts to come in and the music starts to come in and Damn, that music is so great. The soundtrack, uh, the score of this film slaps. It's <laughs> stood the test of time out of everything from this whole film. Definitely the score, I think, is the best. You can also thank John Carpenter for that. And people yeah. who do their own scores, yeah, yeah. I applaud you. I could never. 
People who are multi-talented can go to hell. <laughs> That's my hot take. Stop being so talented. Yeah. Why don't they share the talents? Yeah. <laughs> let let yeah. someone who can only do a score do the score. But Why do you got to direct and write too, you asshole? We have yeah. a budget to stick to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what if I can only do one thing? <laughs> and like, I meant for this point to just be about the opening scene. Like, I wrote it immediately as I started watching it. But then it just holds true for the rest of the film. Like, the score is fantastic throughout. And that pacing is wild. Like, every scene that Jack Burton is in... <laughs> He's like talking to himself most of the time. Like, what does Jack say? Well, there's like specifically the scene where like where uh, they bring in the reporter and she's like, yeah, we got to go rescue the girls from this gang. And then the reporter's like, oh, you mean that gang that did this and do this and do this? It was very much like tell, don't show just to like make sure, you know, before they start doing the action, like just give as much information as you need to know so that you can start seeing a bunch of dudes kick each other and lightning bolts come out of essentially a Raiden. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Right. It's just like, let's just do the info dump up front. So then we can just get to the fighting and the weird shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Which like, I kind of said this, uh, we have like a pre fear where we like record what we think the movie's going to be about before we actually watch it. If it's something that we haven't seen before. Yeah. And I was talking about how like this movie wasn't even on my radar until you tweeted that it was like one of your favorite. And I think you, I think you said horror movie. I feel like I'm not imagining that. And then go actually watching it. I'm like, this is like the baseline of horror. <laughs> it's like action comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's not really, it's more of an action comedy. I get like, the horror, you know, like there's like just the key moments, like, you know, Lopan, I guess, is, you know, this kind of a horror element, especially when there's like those skinned people being like held up upside oh, yeah. down in the, the water hell. And there's also like he's a ghost. You're right. I mean, it's not really. I mean, I'm fine with it. Like, I, yeah. it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I really was not expecting the damsel in distress plot to be about sex trafficking that's like intense <laughs> that is horror. yeah actually you know what i take it back Real that's horror, horror. <laughs> that's horror <laughs> oh man and it happens so fast like in as soon as the like real movie starts after that like super awkward intro like when they're in the airport and you see the two women that are the objects of affection slash just uh, plot objects immediately they're both in danger from this gang uh, and even then, I wasn't I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Somehow my brain didn't connect the dots, but it is very obvious, like women kidnapped in airport. What's probably going to happen to them? Yeah. yeah. Scary shit. And, and sadly, like like historically not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Super realistic yeah. And, and sad. So it is a real horror. Oof. Yeah. Now to yeah. bring the mood back up, <laughs> I was going to have a hot take, but I feel like this hot take is more me misinterpreting what I was watching because I was going to say that I know this film is very like people who have seen it in the past are very nostalgic of it. And it's something that people watch a lot. But I kind of hate Jack Burton. 
the lead character. <laughs> and it's because of everything that you already said, though, Lee. But it was like the way that you said it made me realize, oh, yeah, I'm just like try- I was taking him at face value of being this hero. But he's such an anti hero. He's kind of awful. Like everything he does stands for white male privilege. When he isn't being listened to, he just like talks over people and yells louder so that <laughs> nobody else can be heard. He doesn't give a fuck about anybody but himself. And as soon as he's confronted with something that he doesn't understand, he just brushes it off and doesn't listen. So it was very like white savior slash like white knight for saving the women. But then when it comes down to it, it's because he is the joke of this movie. And I think that lens is much better than what I was interpreting it as. I mean, like, you know, and I'm a big believer in, you know, like once you put art out into the world, you know, any interpretation almost is valid because it's your relationship to that film. And like a filmmaker can have an intent. That intent doesn't always land. And your interpretation of that film, you know, is your interpretation of that film as long as you can substantiate. And so like, I totally feel like that if that's your initial gut reaction to the film, that's totally valid. And like, maybe, maybe the opposite argument is like, you could say I'm making excuses for a film that I'm nostalgic about from my childhood. Like you could swing that both ways. I'm like, but I guess I I do like, again, I kind of touched on this. I rationalize it in that. I think to me, it was like, you would never get a movie with Asian leads as heroes made in the eighties. So I thought it was like a, an interesting compromise. Mm. Yeah. At least you got what you got, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> yeah. awful to say, but it's true. That's that at least that happened. And this movie wouldn't be this. It wouldn't have happened without Kurt Russell. So yeah. we do have that to Russell. thank him. for. And I mean, it's not like on the cerebral level of like Tropic Thunder, but it's like sometimes when I feel like the Tropic Thunder thing comes up every few years and you're like, Look, Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface is the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like it's very clear. No one approves of that. It's very clearly taking a stab at doing blackface and how wrong and terrible and stupid that is. Like I perhaps Big Trouble in Little Shop is not that like good at, at doing that. <laughs> but I, I like to take that reading of the movie as like Jack is the butt of this movie. He is the joke of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And feel- you it there's a oh sorry, go ahead, Kelly. I was going to say, like, I feel like if I watched this movie when I was younger, just because, like, I came from a really small town of entirely white people and I never lived in the city, I feel like then I probably would have interpreted like, oh, this white person stumbles on this really weird world and is confused, saves everyone and rides off in the sunset. But like having moved to the city and met other people I was like, oh, man, this movie is hilarious because this dude's dropped into like legitimately someone else's story, has no fucking clue what's going on and then leaves after they've all saved themselves. <laughs> so it's it's also I feel like come based on like the environment that you have, you might interpret it differently. So I'm glad I, I, I kind of am glad I saved this movie for when I was older because I don't I wouldn't have wanted to connect it myself to Jack and been like, yeah. He was the hero and everyone else was so weird. <laughs> He's aspirational. I want to be Jack Burton. Hell yeah. Win thousands of well, dollars off you, of back. Thank you for sitting through. Pardon? I was saying, well, thank you for sitting through a show because uh, I know sometimes it can be hard to sit through a movie where you're like, this rubs me the wrong way on like almost every way possible. But it still was interesting. And I, I it's 
odd because even though like I sort of didn't love it. I mean, yeah, I didn't like it, but you can totally see the appeal of this being a film that people would watch continuously, like would revisit. Like my family, we have a cottage and at that cottage, my dad used to uh, record films off of the television on VHS tapes. Completely legally. Yes, you know, as one does. (laughs) And so we have like a collection of old VHS tape films from TV And I don't think that this is one of them, but it could totally fit in that scenario of like that something that we would pop on and would be such a fun thing to watch while we like eat dinner or whatever. Yeah, it's weird. Like I, I don't love it, but I do see the appeal. That seems like the 80s in general is like, I don't love it, but I see the appeal. (laughs) Yeah. But then if I think about films that I did see of this time that watching if I watched fresh now with the lens that I have right now, I probably wouldn't love them. But watching them now because I had seen them in the past and loved them, fell in love with them, grew up with them. It's so much easier for me to just connect and and wipe away all those flaws, you know. It's interesting for me, like kind of talking about your point, Kelly, and and your point, I think like, you know, I, I don't know if people know, but like I'm adopted. So I grew up like raised in a small town in Australia by white people and was surrounded by white people. And like, you know, it was interesting. So like when I first watched Last Samurai, it's so weird. I have such a weird relationship with that movie because, yeah, it's super problematic and it's super white savior. But when I was a kid, it was kind of I I really liked it because in a way, like I could relate to Olgren because. I had no connection really to my Asian heritage, my Japanese heritage or culture, but it was something that I wanted to and really appreciated. It's such a bizarre feeling for me about Last Samurai because in some ways it's like, oh, I totally relate to Nathan Algren, even though I shouldn't relate to Nathan Algren. <laughs> and I should be like, this is fucking outrageous. This white savior narrative literally spits in the face of my everything. But I have such a weird soft spot for the move for that reason. And also I think because like, the Japanese cast are phenomenal. Like what an yeah. and, and Sonata are phenomenal. But like, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's why, you know, like, sorry, not to go on a bit like film is such a weird thing. And I think we all have a personal relationship to film and it's so hard to just make blanket statements unless it's like, you know, fucking birth of a nation or some fucking writing propaganda. That's literally how to justify slavery or some shit. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to talk to the person who's like, yeah, that's part of my childhood. And I really, I can't see the the bad side of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. It's a really good thing to think about. I'm like now trying to think about movies that I watched as a kid that I never analyzed through another lens. And I'm like, man, if I watch that movie again, it's not going to be great. (laughs) The worst is when you recommend it to people saying, thinking like, this is the fantastic film. You've got to watch it. And then you watch it with them and you're like, Oh Oh, no, no. what did I do? What did I do? (laughs) Yeah, man. So much shit is like, you know, problematic now that we look back on it. We just got to move forward and make better content in the future. Mm-hmm. And then reevaluate it in mm-hmm. 15 years and realize that we've just gotten better. We're just all keep getting just better. Constantly learning, though. That's just humanity. Yeah. Not to wax poetic, but you know. I mean, that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kelly, take us away. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. 
All the information you could ever need about us, including merch, is on our website, www.drinkingandscreaming.com. If you want to help support the show and get some awesome rewards like stickers, coasters, bonus episodes, and more, go to patreon.com slash drinkandscream. That's where you can vote on our Patreon polls to tell us what we should watch next. And listen to our new bonus series called Pre-Fear, where we chat about the movies we haven't seen yet right before we watch them for the podcast, like this one. Whoa! Oh my goodness! <laughs> this season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by Evil Amy's Terror Shop, who provides us with some amazing goodies to talk about on our episodes. Today I'm going to chat about a pair of Funko Pop figures they sent us, Ellen Ripley and the Xenomorph. These babies are the 40th anniversary edition, and they are adorable. A little <laughs> scary, but mostly adorable. Yeah. They both come with little standing trays, too, which I thought was awesome because a lot of pop figures when they get like really intricate and heavy on one side they fall over so the stand is a nice touch yeah ripley has tiny little feet (laughs) so does the alien actually now that i'm being honest (laughs) you can buy their products they ship globally at evilamysterrorshop.com lee tell everybody where they can find you uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at lc shorten same handle for both socials working on anything right now that you're allowed to talk about (laughs) uh, yeah i mean I've been doing a lot of writing mainly, but I guess because we're talking about horror, if you would like to check out a little horror satire I did with my partner Katrina Salisbury called The Chattening, you can find that on YouTube. Um, it's only five minutes, and it's kind of like a, a like a, a look at white male privilege and the dehumanization of people of color. Well, nice. fuck, that sounds right up our alley. <laughs> You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. You can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com and you can join our discord at bit.ly slash hopped up discord. It's season three. It's time for a new sponsor. Do you smell that? The thick fog in the air, suffocating and muddied. Do you hear that? The creaking boards of the boathouse, the wet crackling of pine needles beneath your cold feet. Do you see that? The dim, pulsating glow of the gas lamp, hanging up, just out of reach. What sort of lakeside terror is this? Well, it's a candle. A candle for horror fans. A candle from Liz's Horrifying Candle Co. Shop now on HorrorCandles.com with the code DRINKSCREAM10 for 10% off your first purchase of three or more candles. So this is a brand new sponsor that we got, and I found them on Instagram, fell in love, reached out, and they wanted to sponsor with us. And my favorite part is that these bad boys are handmade with soy wax, which makes them safe for your little fur babies. I feel like it's not well known that you shouldn't use petroleum candles if you have animals, because it's basically like smoking packs of cigarettes in their face. So we're really keen on what candles are made of because we do love candles. So these are going to be safe for Buddy. They're going to be Buddy approved. Wink. Get 10% off, bro. Drink Scream 10. At HorrorCandles.com. Back to the episode. All right. It's time to open the Reconomicon. <laughs> Shar, what is your first recommendation? Yeah, I am speaking of like waxing nostalgia and just loving films that are kind of awful for for me. It, I'm going to recommend <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984, uh, which has very action comedy vibes. 
And you got to just enjoy it for what it was. It's definitely of its time, but still fun. All right, Lee, what do you recommend? Uh, I mean, in, in a similar vein, like, again, it's not the best of them, but I think Evil Dead 3 in terms of just ridiculous kind of horror action comedy with just the most repulsive-ish leading white guy <laughs> trying to save the day, but is a fucking moron and doesn't really save the day. Damn. Yeah, I think that's I a good that's a good take on Ash. <laughs> I haven't seen Evil Dead Three. I've only seen the first one, and I, it's definitely like a blank spot in my horror knowledge. So I'm glad you recommended it. I will have to check it out. My recommendation is but three is like outrageous. Yeah, it's a completely different. Okay. It gets it turns into an entirely different series. Because the first one is like a classic. It's really. I would say it's pretty good. Uh, mine's a softball recommendation. I don't feel it's it's cheating. Escape from New York or L.A. I don't know. Pick pick either one and you'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> I know that people have hot takes on which one's better, but to me, they're basically the same. So both are fine. Both are fine. All right. <laughs> are you ready for <laughs> scaredy facts for so- those of you who are just joining us for the first time and for you, Lee? This is the moment of our podcast where we invite you into our loving relationship, where after we watch horror movies in real life, we snuggle up on the couch, check out some IMDb trivia, other movie sites to kind of give ourselves some relaxation from the horrors that we just witnessed. And Kelly did these this time around. So fill us in, Kelly. So starting with the budget, this movie had a budget of $25 million, which at the time seems extremely high. I think it's all the CGI or all the and the practical effects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that like weird floating beholder looked really expensive. Yeah. And very cool. Yeah. I hope that you have some info on that. Uh, we didn't really talk about it. I don't, but I can I can remember them on the fly. All right. <laughs> uh so the opening weekend for this movie in the states was 2.7 million. Not Oof. great. And then the, oh, the cumulative worldwide is only 11.1 million, which is weird because this seems like a movie that should be like a cult classic. No. And that's the thing. They didn't make it enough at the time. So it's underappreciated. Now everyone's just stealing it off the back of a truck. But I do know that the uh, the studio marketed this horrendously like it was around the time of Alien. So they were more focused on marketing that and they didn't really know how to market this movie. That was had three white people in it at the time. So I think the opening, it makes sense that it, that it made nothing. But the fact that it hasn't made more since then, it's really weird. Yeah, a bit odd. All right. My first fact is the uh, characters in the main title translate to evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state. OK, I like that title more. <laughs> <laughs> big trouble in little China or... Evil spirits, spirits make, make a big a- scene in little spiritual state. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't go with that title. That's really good. It makes sense. That's that, that is an accurate. <laughs> That's the that is the script summarized. <laughs> this one we kind of alluded to, but uh, the three storms were partially the inspiration for the popular character of Thunder God Raiden from Mortal Kombat's fighting game series. And Lopan was the inspirational for Shang Sun as well. Hey, that's so, cool. Yeah. Just Ed Boon, just stealing from yeah, Ed Boon. old 80s movies. I feel like every character from Mortal Kombat is just from an 80s movie. <laughs> Jax is just the dude from Predator. 
<laughs> just a jacked, yeah, jacked guy. True, true. <laughs> the interior of Egg Chen's uh, garage is actually Fire Station 23, the same building they used as the business interior in Ghostbusters. Oh, I was going to ask if the lightning oh, effect was similar to the Ghostbusters. Like it did look very clouds. similar to Ghostbusters. But it's not the same, or at least not that you know. Mm. I don't know. All right. Also, in, in every single Chucky movie, the lightning that appears <laughs> that also looks like it's from Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's just the 80s, man. Just 80s lightning. Just draw some lines, <laughs> put some glow around it. It's, it's all they can do. Yeah. It's like someone perfected the technique and then was just like, this is it. This is lightning, guys. I don't know. I don't know if you looked outside recently. This is what lightning looks I like. I mean, they milked it in this film, too. I thought that it was just going to be that first opening cut, but it came back time and time again. And every time I was impressed. Well, the guy lightning like he was just Raiden and all the like moves he was doing. I think those were just Raiden's moves. <laughs> well, it's the other way around. I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this, but yeah, the original uh, film was going to be a Western placed in San Francisco in the 1890s. And yeah, Jack Burton rides in on a horse that gets stolen and he spends the entire movie just looking for his horse. Just a man and his horse. Heck yeah. That's masculinity right there. <sighs> no, it's the bond between a man <laughs> and his animal. Okay. Whatever you say. The only one he can rely on in this cruel world. What are you quoting right now? I, this is my brain. <laughs> this one's just dumb. In the final scene with the character Lightning, uh, the last shot of the Lightning uh, shows the Chinese character for Carpenter as a tribute to director John Carpenter. And there is now a still image from the movie of that uh, posted in the photo gallery of IMDb. If you want to check that out for some reason, I thought this fact was going to say that it was p put in like the archive of movie stuff, <laughs> but nope, it's just on IMDb. So you too can it's look it up. IMDb. We're real professional here, Lee. I hope that's really funny. I hope we're reassuring you <laughs> body count 46. That's a lot. I mean, there was that whole war going on over the funeral in the beginning. Yeah, that's true. That was a big one. Yeah, I, I actually kind of thought they'd be more. Maybe yeah. they oh. were so strong that they lived, even though it looked like they got decimated. <laughs> Only the guys where you could see their head crush in died. <laughs> Shar and I have a running gag on our podcast where for some reason, when we watched through Chucky, there was one person that would leave incredibly detailed facts about all of the guns and cars in Chucky and it was our favorite because it was just like so out of the blue. So this and we is, know nothing about cars or <laughs> we, guns. We know nothing about either. We just found it fascinating. Uh, so this section is just cars and guns in the movie. So the vehicle that Egg drove in the movie was a 1936 white touring car. That car is now in Yellowstone National Park and it's named Hollywood. And it will give you tours of Old Faithful so you can go hang out in egg shen's car if you would like to all right <laughs> jack's truck the 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 pork chop express is a freightliner flc 120 i know what that is totally i think i do i think <laughs> one of my family used to drive one of those it did not have a giant animatronic monster on the back <laughs> <laughs> and finally i couldn't find any facts about what appeared to be extremely fake guns that they were carrying throughout the movie. But Egg offers Jack a .357 Magnum and tell, tells him it'll make you feel like Dirty Harry, which is funny because Clint Eastwood was actually considered for this role. Oh. Uh, 
because John Carpenter wanted Kurt Russell, but then the studio was like, no, we need someone better. So they went and tried to get other actors, but none of them were available. So then they were like, I guess you can have Kurt Russell. Oof. Which worked out though, because like Clint Eastwood would not have been able to be as dumb as Kurt Russell is in that movie. Yeah, I think he would have come across more like condescending. Just because Clint Eastwood always kind of looks condescending. (laughs) It's the fucking white savior, like knight in shining armor shit. Every Clint Eastwood movie is that. I hate his movies. (laughs) Yeah, but his son is really hot, so. Oh, okay. Then his movies are good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you have any cool facts that I did not include in this list, Lee? Well, I think we we talked about like the opening scene being tacked on, which I always think is interesting. And then the only thing I because I don't know if we got it because we talked about it before the podcast was like how you can find Egg's bag in World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell that again. If you if you play World of Warcraft, you can find and buy uh, Egg Shen's six demon bag. And if you do it, it will have a caption like some flavor text that you should be very familiar with. So uh, if you play WoW, I encourage you to try and track down the six demon bag. Was it in Miss of Pandaria? Because I feel like that's when they started getting really wild with their references. I have a feeling it was actually classic, but I could be wrong. That would make sense. I could be wrong. Because I know like I, I never played Miss of Pandaria until like years later. And there were so many like I used to watch kung fu movies all the time and there were so many good references to old kung fu movies in there well the other thing i guess is there's like a sequel in the works um so which is also kind of weird considering as you said it's made no money so it's kind of weird that they would want to do it but uh the rock is doing it so what? it'll be interesting and it's like actually yeah. for realsies being made oh uh, my buddy wrote the the screenplay and he sold well like not sold because i guess he was commissioned to work on it so there is a screenplay in existence and the rock has talked about it i don't know where it is in the development hell cycle right now but it's like it's like a semi-legitimate thing i'm pretty sure you can actually find the first couple of pages of this script on the internet if you look hard enough it's rad as hell well there we go we just got a scoop yeah on drinking and screaming we're legit (laughs) i hope you didn't break any ndas or something on that oh no All right, let's go into final thoughts. Lee, any final thoughts on the movie? Uh, Not to put you on the spot. (laughs) I always wonder. Yeah, I always wonder, and I I always forget to look it up, but like, I wonder what Dennis did after this film. Like, because I I see Egg Shan all the time, and like, um, you know, Lopan, and obviously Kim Cattrall, and, and, and Gray, and Kurt Russell, but it's like, whatever happened to all the Asian actors? Because I feel like they didn't really work. Are you Googling it? Yeah, I'm looking it up now. It seems like he did a bunch of like really bad B movies. And then, yeah, it doesn't look like his career really continued into the early aughts. What a shame. Yeah, it sucks. Because, yeah, I really liked him. He was cool. He was the coolest guy in the movie, which was the point. It was great. (laughs) I don't know. I Usually I'm really bad at writing my final thoughts. So I'm also putting myself on the spot. But I think like. I was like hesitant to watch this movie because I assumed that it was basically just like Escape from New York because it was advertised so heavily as like Kurt Russell in a in a uh, short T-shirt and a gun. And I was like, OK, it's probably just like Escape from New York. Uh, but now that I've watched it, I feel like it was such like an easy, fast action packed watch that this will probably be added into my rotation of like 
campy 80s action movies that I watch in the future. And I'm very excited for that. <laughs> I could totally see that for sure. Yeah. I was going to talk about how I thought that Kurt, Le- Kurt Russell was really great. Like one of my favorite parts of the movie was when he had to take on these different roles when they were doing like the heist information reconnaissance stuff. And like he did like three different characters so that he didn't seem suspicious which was very funny. And I uh, admired his performance a lot in that. But I also wanted to take a moment for everybody to comment on the practical effects because we kind of glossed over that. And that's like probably the most horror of this genre or of this film. There was like the guy that somehow exploded, like he got bigger and bigger and they had all these prosthetics on his feet, on his hands. His face was like a huge one. Because he was, was cool. thunder, he got too loud. But uh, yeah, the the visual of thunder expanding is like one of the first things that pop up when you Google uh, "Big Trouble in Little China." So I, I kind of assumed that the whole movie was gonna be like body horror, prosthetics, and stuff. But and there like was, John Carpenter, yeah, exactly. But there was like that the weird like goblin that uh, stole all the women, and then the beholder that flies around. But other than that, like it was mostly just like makeup and prosthetics. (laughs) It was really weird. It was cool. So I wanted to point them out so that uh, they didn't get glossed over. Now I feel bad about recommending this movie, but uh, you know, I guess it was like, it is John Carpenter. And I thought, I don't know, because I'm a huge horror fan too, but I thought, oh, let's do something a little bit different maybe. But I feel bad if this wasn't horror enough. No, no, no. I'm sorry we're giving you that impression. We loved it and we loved talking about it. We like to branch out. We've done like definitely not strict horror on this pod in the past. So you're definitely not breaking our mold. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. And I mean, nothing's nothing's stopping you from coming back with like the the most horror film ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say if we if we if you would ever have me back, we should totally do like a horror horror like movies. So. Yeah, I think some of the other ones you yeah. recommended we'd like already done. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to find one that we have not done. Which is very many because this is only our third season. So yeah, you have a plethora of things to pick from. <laughs> Don't worry. Actually, quick off the record. If you- yeah, okay. we can edit this out. <laughs> oh, I, I just want to be like, uh, what did you what did you think of the Suspiria remake show? I don't think I saw it. Oh, Shit. No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought I I, I thought I like I don't know why I'm like I bet you Shaw has seen this Suspiria remake and has a lot of thoughts, but uh, they well, have. we haven't yet. Now we have to watch it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to watch the Suspiria and come back on la- uh, later season, that'd be great. Have you seen it, Kelly? I saw the original one. I haven't seen the remake yet. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. Well, then let's let's if you're down, let's do the Suspiria remake at some. Oh, yeah. All right, it's done. Well, that's been Big Trouble in Little China, a movie about Kurt Russell stumbling onto a movie set with no idea what's going on. Next week, we'll be joined by Cynthia Marie from the actual plays L.A. by Night and Sirens, watching The Purge from 2013. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah! Bye! Ah!